The UK Investor Magazine podcast is brought to you in association with Oanda, the broker of choice for traders who want a smarter way to trade. Trade with Oanda and get one year's subscription to TradingView Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into global markets. We're going to be looking at a selection of equities and sectors out there to keep an eye on. Uh, in the coming months. And to do that, we're very kindly joined once more by Mark Kimsey, who is the head of equities at Frederick and Oliver. Mark, thank you very much for being with us today. Yeah. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on the show. So we were speaking earlier on in the year, Mark, and and you made some calls which which came to pass. So we'll be touching on those uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. We, We were speaking, I think, back when the FTSE 100 was trading at around 8,000 and we were questioning whether it could break above that uh, and you suggested at that time that we could see a bit of a pullback, which we which we did and we've had a couple of follow-up podcasts uh, since then. So we're going to be picking up now from the most recent moves in markets and we're actually recording at a time that we're looking at the FTSE 100, which is down 1.6% on the day. Now, this is one of the biggest declines that we've seen probably this year uh, in terms of day-to-day movement. You know, certainly in the last month or so, we've been seeing a lot of sideways trade. There's not been a great deal of volatility in the market. So we're going to be exploring some of the reasons behind that. Of course, we had inflation data out this morning. That has, oh, it's fallen down to to 8.7%, but it's much higher than analysts' expectations. They're expecting for about 8.3%. I think the Bank of England We're expecting 8.4%. So there's a big miss there. We saw a jump in the pound. We've seen bond yields go higher. So that's attributing, we can attribute that to some of the declines today. But we're going to touch on probably one of the biggest concerns and for good reason in in the debt ceiling talks, Mark, which are ongoing in the United States at the moment. Now, this has happened before. And it has caused volatility in the market. It's yet to cause any real volatility in, in stocks, not just here in the UK, but globally. But as we move towards that date in early June, it does have the potential to cause some waves in markets. So from where you're sitting, Mark, you know, what, what's your view on the talks that, that are happening at the moment? It's all over the news. Is it something that investors should be genuinely concerned about? Um. Probably not, but it's like a really dangerous game of chicken to not have your wits about you. I mean, let's look at what what this is, that the US debt ceiling is a capped level of debt that the US government is prepared to get the country into. And of course, we are approaching that debt ceiling. And at that point, actually, what the US will start to do is shut down like government departments, 
perhaps not be able to uh, make repayments uh, at all sorts of levels. And, and probably from a civilian uh, perspective, you would see it most in things like, I don't know, maybe not not able to cash a social security check or your garbage might not get collected. But actually, the ramifications on the international stage are far greater than that. You 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 don't want to see the world's largest economy start to get downgraded in terms of its debt rating so that it's, uh, it, its borrowing rates on international money markets are higher because that would make, uh, obviously, the, 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 the US a, a less competitive place to, to be. Um, so a, a default is, is, is probably highly unlikely because whilst Democrats and Republicans are using this ticking time bomb as a way to try and agree on all sorts of other bills and legislations. And yes, we will come to the table and agree an increase in the debt ceiling if you could be more agreeable on this bill and so on. So it's being used for political posturing. Um, but regardless of what side of uh, you know Capitol Hill you fall, probably uh, all parties will be unanimous in not wanting to see the US kind of embarrassed on that international stage. So what's happened previously and what is highly likely happened to, uh, again is that negotiations will go down to the wire and as the clock strikes midnight, I'm sure something will be agreed and default will be averted. But, you know, what if... Uh, and I think that's why you're seeing a slight easing of market. Certainly, it's been sideways in recent weeks as the market has not really wanted to commit one way or the other with these talks looming. But now, as we do start to tick down to what they're calling the X date, which Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen has suggested would be June 1st, that's when the US would hit that debt ceiling. Um, investors are more than likely going to start taking a bit of risk off of the table just in case. Um, so right to be cautious, uh, right to be probably uh, lightening the exposure, um, full on default incoming, probably unlikely. So is it as simple as assuming everything else being equal, that if we do see any downside on the back of this debt ceiling uh, date looming up and, and investors taking cash off the off the table, then it's as simple as that it's something that we're going to see a bit of downside and they're likely to get it uh, through, they're likely to get it passed, and then that presents a buying opportunity. Short term, perhaps, but I, I don't think it's a buying opportunity that perhaps you know has, has, has any real legs in it because what we're not buying there is a positive. We're just buying the aversion of a negative, which um, is, is, for me, far less of a reason to buy. Yes, we would have... Uh, sidestepped US default, which is a, is a perversely a positive. Um, but then we get back to the nitty gritty of what's the state of the economy, what is the state of uh, you know consumers, corporate earnings. And then we get back to you know what we should all be focused on in terms of uh, financial markets. And um, you know it's not as though that. Uh, that is a great place right now either. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that later in the podcast. Yes, yes, I think that'll be a good uh, a good point actually to pick that up now, Mark, because, you know, let's move on to to the, to the outlook for, for the rest of this year and how that's evolved from your perspective over, over the period since our, our last recording, because there's lots of threats out there to, to the markets. You know, if you're looking at the economic picture, there's many... 
uh, economists and, and market commentators predicting a US recession later on this year. Uh, here in the UK, we had news that the, the IMF actually now see that, that the UK is going to avoid a, a recession this year. However, uh, growth is going to be very low and there's still going to be a lot of pressure on, on households. So when we, we're looking at the, the the bigger picture here, you know, do do you feel that you know this sideways trade that we've seen in markets so far this year isn't really representative of the underlying risks? I mean, just bringing up some some stats here, the FTSE 100 so far year to date is up one percent. Looking at the S and P 500, of course, the the broad index of U.S. stocks that's actually up eight percent. So it would appear that there's a disconnect between what's happening in equity markets and what could happen later on in the year from your perspective mark you know which snaps back you know there's a disconnect there you know which moves back in line with the other is it is, is it equities could see a bit of a downside later on in the year or do we think that some of these uh, estimates and and forecasts that are coming from economists on the macro picture may not come to pass and we may actually see stronger economic growth throughout uh, the rest of the year than some are predicting at the moment? Uh, I'm finding it really hard to um, get excited about um, financial markets, Jonathan, um, if, I'm, if I'm totally frank. And uh, that's probably at odds with what people would like me to, to, to say, really, um, because naturally your audience is going to be looking to, you know, invest and make their money work for them. And then, you know, I've got my sort of Victor Meldrew hat on, uh, you know, kind of suggesting this isn't the place to be right now. Um, it's not to say there can't be pockets of performance or there won't be stocks that, 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 that do um, impress. But just generally speaking, I, I, I don't like... The, the the setup of most global indices trading somewhere near to record levels, whilst there are the rumblings of a potential recession within the next 6, 12, 18 months, and the persistent high levels of inflation globally, the persistent raising of interest rates, and the subsequent cost of living crisis that is, I think, yet to really fully filter through to the consumer. And it is the consumer that drives the profitability of most listed companies. So I, I just, I, I'm not a fan of that setup at the moment. If you look at the FTSE, very close to record levels. The German DAX, very close to record levels. Uh, the French CAC, I think, just last week hit a new fresh record. If you look at Australia's ASX, uh, very close to a record level. The Nikkei recently hit its highest level since 1990. Um, US markets, yes, not quite as high, but they had such a run-up before the recent decline that they've, they've probably got a bit further to head north, which is why you've seen the S&P probably outperform the FTSE this year. It's coming from a lower base. The FTSE didn't fall as aggressively as US markets did into that October low. So we do have uh, global equity markets right up uh, towards those those top levels. And I mean, within 5% in most cases. So if if you if you invert that five percent and then use the language historically speaking 
major global indices are 95% or more fully valued, then that to me doesn't sound like I'm getting any real discount. And I fear that the the risk of downside outweighs the possibility of upside. Yes, yes. I mean, my, my view on this would be if you're if you're looking at global equities at the moment and what's happening in 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 the real economy, of course there's that disconnect. But there has to be when you're looking at the central banks, and of course focus is, it has been for the last eighteen months on central banks throughout this hiking cycle. You know, really for equities to take a next leg higher, I think there's an element of people looking for borrowing costs to to stabilise and and even come down. But on the other side of the picture, you have these high levels of inflation. So these central banks will have to continue to hike rates. And if we don't see any fallout in markets, they don't have any reason to, to stop hiking. You know, if they can, can continue to hike to fight inflation and equity markets stay at the, the high levels that you have outlined there, Mark, um, they're just going to carry on. They're going to carry on. They don't need any. There's no reason for them to, to bring rates down. And ultimately, something will have to to break and that will cause some volatility in markets. So, you know, from from your view, Mark, is it a case now that it's as simple as just looking at reducing equity exposure, increasing cash? Or do you feel and that's obviously from a, from a top down approach across the portfolio? Or do you think sort of looking at the environment out there, there that there will actually be some winners going forward through this volatility and and is it a, a stock pickers market you know this is obviously down to, to personal preference but which way would you lean towards at the moment well i, I think before we move on from that inflation story I, I think you know if i take my you know market professional hat off and just put on uh, you know a, a regular guy on the street uh, hat um there are significant pressures on the consumer to to actually just exist. As, as depressing as that sounds, it's a reality. And, and I can see that reflected in, say, fuel prices. We know that, um, you know, filling up at the pump uh, got out of hand during the, the COVID period at, at, at some point, which also coincided with then the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the spike in the, in the prices. Um, but... I remember the price at the pump going from something like, you know, from roughly a pound to two pound. Now I'm being quite broad brush with that. Uh, it has come back down to about one pound fifty at the pumps, but we're still fifty percent higher than what we were used to paying pre-Russia Ukraine. If we also look at the the inflation impact on the the price of groceries, we we know from recent data that the price, uh, you know, average price of basket, baskets, depending upon which supermarket you frequent, have gone up from anywhere between 20 and 50%. Um, this was actually something I unnerved when uh, my wife ordered, she, uh, she likes um, almond butter, rather than peanut butter, almond butter, £7.35 a jar. That's, uh, that's ingrained in my memory, Jonathan, £7.35 for a, a jar of almond butter. So, you know, the, 
the, the, the cost of shopping, the cost of fueling your car. Um, let's not forget the cost of the utilities, the, the, the gas and electric. Um, you know, it's hundreds of pounds a month now to heat your your home and, and, and have the TV on and whatever else we all do. And that strain is enough. But what I'm really concerned about, a close friend of mine, confided in me the other day he's got a fixed term mortgage which is uh, due to expire at the end of the year he's fixed at something like 2.2 or 2.3 percent and he pays a couple of grand a month roughly speaking he has been calling his building society almost on a weekly basis asking them what their next fixed period looks like and at the moment he can't get anything under under about 4.7 percent so what that means is that his mortgage repayment, if it had to be revised today, would more than double. So on an already strained household, how does Mr. and Mrs. Average expect to find a surplus £2,000 per month on top of everything? So that this is what concerns me, and this is why I think there's talk of re- recession, because these these guys are consumers. They're the ones spending the money, going to the shops, doing things online, going out and about cinemas, restaurants, holidays, whatever it might be. I think people are going to hunker down and hunker down and hunker down as a result of these rising costs. And we've seen a spectacular turnaround in the fortunes of US citizens. You remember during the COVID times, everybody was furloughed, uh, paid without having to obviously go to work. You couldn't spend your money because you couldn't go on holiday or go to the shops or go to the cinema or go to a restaurant. So actually, during the COVID years, the current account balances in the US hit a record level. So on average, US citizens had never had so much money in their bank accounts. Now... U.S. credit card debt is at a record. I think it's almost a trillion dollars now. So just in the last couple of years, the U.S. consumer has gone from having money in the bank like never before to credit card debt like never before. And this is my main concern, which brings me into the second part of the year, the outlook and why I am more pessimistic than optimistic we need people to spend money, and I can't see the surplus that's going to facilitate that. So, yeah, let's go back to to how this is is played, Mark. So, you know, you're sort of looking at what is quite a, a pessimistic outlook. It's very difficult to see how that's conducive to higher company earnings, certainly in the, in the second half of of 2023. So from your perspective, and we, and we have discussed this previously uh, on the podcast in terms of the tactical approach to to equities, you know, how, how is that, how has that evolved? You know, and now knowing what we, we know, now we have further evidence from economic data and we have further uh, retail sales uh, spending installments that we've learned of obviously US uh, retail sales have have came in less than than expected. So that is further evidence to what you've just described there that people are having to use their credit cards to some extent to uh, to get by you know looking at the these markets at at this level you know what sort of setup would you like to to be in and are there any sectors in particular I think if we start with sectors and maybe we can then move on to 
to individual companies that you that you think will, you know, may, maybe not, you know, go up during this period if if we do see a significant period of volatility. But you know, sectors you feel will will outperform and are going to be safer bets than than other sectors. Okay, so. Firstly, let me um, address something that you said earlier. The answer is yes, I would prefer to see clients going more into cash, not coming out of the markets entirely, because of course, I cannot predict the future. And it'd just be my luck that clients get out the market. And then for some reason, there is a rally. But if you were to uh, dispose partially or wholly of some positions, uh, especially if you're certain ones that are profitable. That is not a bad idea. As we've said, global markets are kind of near highs. So that old adage of buy low, sell high, which I always uh, like to repeat as, as simplistic as it is, um, is something that we shouldn't overlook. And if markets are high and one is sat in profit and we are somewhat concerned about outlook, then we should cash out some of those positions have some cash on the sidelines. If the markets carry on going up, will you benefit with the stocks that you did keep hold of? They should rise in value. But if they come back down, you're only hurt into part of uh, of that original tune and you've got cash on the sidelines to buy more at discounted levels. So I certainly think going into cash more in the coming weeks and months is not going to be a terrible idea. As we get to sectors, let's once again look at buy low, sell high. So which sectors are high, let's start with, and those that we might wish to avoid. Um, it's very difficult to find a cheap oil stock right now. BP and Shell are probably trading somewhere within 5 to 10% of recent highs, if not uh, you know, multi-year highs. Um, so it's difficult to make a case to move into oil stocks at these levels. That's not to say that oil can't remain at sort of $70, $75, which we know is a profitable level for these companies. But if you're looking for that explosive growth, it's kind of been and gone. I know we've spoken about BP before, but um, you know, go back a couple of years and that was less than £2. It's now £5. So the explosive growth has been gone. Could you get incremental growth potentially? Could you benefit from the dividend payments? Of course. But this is a sector that is quite highly valued now one becomes wary of potential downside versus upside the same can be said for some pharmaceutical stocks as well not broad brush broad brush sorry because they all specify in different areas and have different drugs at different stages of trials and some of those become um, uh, you know uh, positive in terms of their uh, stage three trials and others fail so you can get um, a disconnect between performance in different pharmaceutical stocks but for the most part they have all done pretty well from the covid era um, take astrazeneca for astrazeneca for example that is a stock that is trading very close to recent and record highs and so it's very difficult to see value in buying something at a high, especially when hopefully we're past the COVID pandemic now and what will be the big blockbuster driver for significant growth going forward for these stocks. Um, utility sector as well, we've just spoken about household bills and the price of utilities. And again, National Grid, SSE, these are stocks that are trading at 
relatively high levels versus historical prices. Centrica is uh, something that's gone crackers over the last couple of years from less than 30p to over a pound now. We've seen something like 300% upside in, in, in that stock from low to high. So before we can find what we want to buy, it's quite good to sometimes exclude what you might not wish to buy and, and you can start getting to um, you know preferred sectors by way of elimination so you mentioned some stocks there which do actually have some fairly respectable dividends so when you're sort of looking at the outlook here and just looking at some of the performances of companies this year a lot of those stocks with reasonably high uh, dividend yields have have actually outperformed in, in the last week or so. But in particular, yesterday, uh, we saw the FTSE 100 fairly flat. A lot of the cyclical sectors were were down on the day. Uh, but if you're looking at those ones that, that were showing some strength, they were ones that had dividend yields in excess of the FTSE 100 average. I mean, there's lots of companies out there now which are sort of yielding six seven eight percent you know some some are higher that's be questions about whether that's going to be sustainable going forward but you know looking looking forward is it a case that you think that you know maybe those companies with with higher yields are going to be a safe haven to some extent because they're providing some form of compensation for you know waiting for capital appreciation if we see volatility in markets yeah, possibly. And, and and they might be the ones to leave in the portfolio when we talk about, you know, keeping some positions and maybe um, disposing of others. Um, you know, you may wish to dispose of uh, a utility stock because it's had a really good run, but, you know, keep hold of a boring old telco because they pay 6%. Um, so that, that, you know, that that is to be considered. My, my only... My only concern with a company that might pay you know five or six percent, which isn't to be sniffed at by any means, is that if we do get a meaningful drop in the market, if a recession comes along, then where does the FTSE retreat to? If we're at seven seven, broadly speaking, at the moment, does that come down to seven thousand? Does it go to six and a half thousand? Does it go to six thousand? You know, depending upon how messy it gets, um, and you're now talking about you know ten to twenty percent retracements in the value of the index, with most stocks on average falling perhaps by a similar amount. And so, if you're receiving five percent dividend, but your stock's going to give up twenty percent, then all of a sudden, you know that that's almost becoming a false economy as well. Um, and you know, do you dispose of those stocks with a view to buying them back at a lower level? At which point, the dividend would be far more impressive as well on a percentage payout. So yes, there's an argument to say that the defensive nature of dividend paying stocks does make them more appealing, but I still would not choose 5% income if it comes with a 15 to 20% retracement. Indeed, indeed. So let's move on now, Mark, and let's talk about some, some companies that you've been looking at with your clients recently, because of course, it hasn't been all doom and gloom so far this year. It may get a little bit worse later or in the year, but certainly there's been some companies I know that you've been uh, looking at and working with on with your clients um, that, that have had some good 
good performances and, and have proved to be some some good trades. So would you be able to give us a few a few ideas of the companies that you've uh, you, you've picked up and uh, ha- have been adding to to portfolios for for clients so far this year? Yeah, well, a lot of the positions that we've uh, we've published of of late have uh, have, have sort of um, come to fruition and 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 reached their end point, and they've included companies like Alphabet and Netflix and Shopify and uh, some of those US tech stocks that have been quite severely punished amid rising interest rate hikes. And so now, what a lot of people are saying, well, what you know. What would you look at? Because I, I, I'm conscious that I've been reasonably pessimistic throughout the first part of this podcast, and uh, uh, I, I want to give uh, your listeners some uh, some reason to be cheerful. Um, whereas I've just listed a lot of sectors and stocks that are trading at highs, what I want to share with your listeners are some that are trading at lows, and I'm not saying that these are to be picked up just yet. Um, but these are things that I'll be putting on the watch list, and they include um, house builders. So we look at that theme of rising interest rates in a bid to combat inflation and uh, an obvious victim of higher interest rates and borrowing costs would be house builders. And if you look at something like Taylor Wimpy, yes, they're well off of the recent lows of about 85 pence at 115. I've got on my screen now. Uh, But pre-pandemic, this was a £2.40 stock. So it's trading at more than half price compared to uh, brighter days. Uh, Persimmon, the decline has been even more spectacular. Um, They're trading at about £12 versus £32 pre-pandemic. So whilst I wouldn't rush out and buy them just yet, I think we should be putting house builders on the radar, on the watch list, uh, looking for that that buying point. And, you know, this this comes down to, to, to time in the market. Um, whereas you don't really want to get caught up with the hype uh, that's associated with maybe utility stocks or oil stocks because they are trading high and uh, attracting those headlines, purchasing them now could be turning up uh, at, at, at just the wrong time. Um, what we want to look for is the unloved and those that are on their knees and looking for when the the, the, the their time could come again because surely they will. So if we look at all of the negativity that uh, we've discussed and ultimately it resulting in recession, then your listeners could be screaming at their phones right now, Mark, make up your mind. You're talking about recession and now you're saying look out for house builders. But that is how the stock market works. At the point of maximum fear um, is perhaps the time to be looking at the stocks that are getting punished. Because if a recession does come in, then the response to that typically by government, central banks, is to then start trying to make the economy an easier place for corporates and individuals to exist in. So I would then anticipate that those interest rates start getting chopped because in amongst the recessionary environment, of course, we will start to see inflation ease. And as soon as those interest rates start getting chopped, then borrowing becomes cheaper and then people might turn to the property market, especially if that coincides with an easing in property prices of 5%, 10%. So actually, it'll be at that point where it kind of looks like it doesn't make sense that from an investment perspective, 
it does actually make sense. Um, the same can be said for US tech, as I've just mentioned. There are a lot of tech casualties. I like to kind of put US tech into two categories, those that are established and we can't live without, like your Microsofts and your Apples and your Amazons. You can't really imagine a world without them. And then the more speculative that might be, uh, you know, fresh, innovative, um, those that are yet to really take off um, and those that had specific uses for um, during COVID era. So looking at some depressed levels, Zoom, for example, um, I, I, I've got horrible memories of Zoom birthday parties from COVID, but that was one use. But of course, then when you didn't have the international travel, Zoom is great for um, business meetings. I mean, most people are aware of and use Zoom. Um, Zoom was about $600 a share during COVID. It's now about $65 a share. So that stock has lost 90% of its value. The same can be said for DocuSign, of course, when we couldn't all meet in person and go to offices and sign bits of paper. We were then taking maximum advantage of DocuSign where we can e-sign for these things as well. Very, uh, very convenient. Once $300, now $50. So these are very much in an unloved category at the moment. But then some of the more established US tech is also trading uh, at significant discounts due to that uh, persistent inflation and rising interest rates. So Amazon, for example, um, recent high of about $190, currently trading at 115 That's 40% discounted. And Netflix as well. I know that it's a very competitive space, the streaming space, but Netflix seems to be, um, you know, the, the, the sort of commander in that sector currently. And uh, during COVID, got as high as $700 and is trading at half price at $350. So there are significant discounts present, rightly so, in UK house builders and US technology stocks due to high interest rate levels. And once they start to drop, these stocks might start to look more attractive. So get them on the watch list for sure. And, uh, you know, keep track of these with a view to pull in the trigger in the future. Thank you very much, Mark. So just as a final point here, and this is, this is more about the psychology, investment psychology. You know, when we're looking at the, some of the opportunities that you outlined that we may see later on in the year you know when you're working with clients you know how 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 hard do you see people finding it to to make those decisions you know if you go back to some of these house builders that we may be in an environment a little bit later on in the year where we're seeing house prices fall you know five or ten percent you know whatever the forecasts are that, you, that, that you're going to pay attention to and you're going to see interest rates probably higher than where they are now. A terrible time to be looking at, at house building. But then if you're looking at stock prices, of course, you mentioned uh, for the likes of Persimmon there, down at around £12. You know, this is a £32 stock back in 2001. It, it's, it's provided significant dividends to, to investors over the, the last 10 years. But when you're looking at the, the macro picture and looking at the share price and everything is saying this isn't a time to be buying this you know how hard do you do you find it or how hard do you see people finding it to make that decision that this is good value and I need to be looking forward six to 12 months to a situation when things improve 
Well, you, you, you just said it right there, Jonathan, looking forward. Um, and, and that's what the market does. Whenever there's, you know, whenever the outlook is positive or negative for a specific stock or sector, the market moves immediately. And, and, and let's take, you know, let's take a house builder, for example. If in 12 months time, you can see that perhaps we have uh, entered uh, some sort of recessionary environment, um, but as a result, interest rates have eased, borrowing is more affordable, and the property prices have fallen, uh, that, that does mean that you will end up with more buyers coming to market. So at that point, there could be more demand for houses. Well, that's exactly what a house builder wants. But if, if you make the decision today based on what you see today, then you would be right to have that knee-jerk reaction that most UK investors have, which is, buy a house builder, you must be joking. Interest rates are really high. Um, cost of living is out of control. I wouldn't touch one. So it, 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 it is about putting to one side what is going on right here and right now and trying to look at where things will be because that is when you see the buy-in. The market won't wait for an improvement in situations and for Persimmon to then announce that they're selling houses quicker than ever to then go, oh, we will buy. They will buy on the assumption that that is incoming and if I buy now at a low price, I get to sell then at a high price. And that is why I must invest today so I can cash out at a future high. Most UK investors will look at the headlines here and now and make their decision. And that is why my phone often rings, even, even now, with people asking if they should buy shares in BP. People asking if they should buy shares in AstraZeneca. People asking if they should buy shares in Centrica because we've seen the high oil price, the profits from COVID vaccines and the profits from high utility prices. But it's been and gone. I'm not saying there aren't you know, some dregs still to be had, but you're reading the headline today, which is telling you what's happened over the last six to 12 months you need to be six to 12 months back in your thinking to identify tomorrow's opportunity. That's great, Mark. Thank you. Thank you very much. So just as a note there, uh, Mark is the head of equities at Frederick and Oliver. Uh, so do, do check them out and do go back and actually listen to some of the podcasts that we've recorded earlier on this year and, and get Mark's views and, and how they have played out, because that will give you some, some great context. So, Mark, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. This podcast was presented by Oanda, Trading View's most popular broker. Trade with Oanda and get one-year subscription to TradingView Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money.
We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.